Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are indeed holding on to us. That there are your mighty and powerful arms around us in our lives, holding on to us, guiding us, shaping us, protecting us, and healing us. God, we give you thanks for the evidence of your hands in our lives, for what you have done in us, for the grace that you have given us in Christ, for the transformation you have made in our lives, for all those things that have been consumed us with worry and fear that we can look back on and see, yes, indeed, our prayers were answered. And so, God, we come to you now in need of answered prayer again, because the, the slings and arrows of this life can wear a person down. And so, God, we come to you now with those things that are weighing on us, with those places that we want to hand over to your mighty arms. And so, in particular, we lift up our dear brother, John Hafner, um, who had a stroke some time ago and is now um, suffering from pneumonia. God, we pray uh, for his healing. God, we pray that his lungs uh, may breathe easy. God, we pray that it may all go right. We pray for his doctors and his nurses. God, we pray that your arms may indeed surround John, heal John, and return John back to us singing your praises. God, we know in you, you are a God of miracles. And so we pray for John. Uh, for his recovery from his stroke, for his recovery from pneumonia, uh, for his healing, and for his family as they are struggling through this difficult season. God, be with Bila, be with them all. Um, but God, we pray for John and for his family. God, we lift up this ongoing coronavirus pandemic and name in our hearts all of those folks that we know um, that are suffering, even the millions around this country, the you know hundreds around this county. God, we pray for healing for them all. And as we were talking to someone before the before this service, God, that this time uh, may come to an end and that we all may get back to something that better resembles a life that we know, God. But we pray for those who are sick, uh, that they may be healed, have access to whatever medical stuff that they need, that all may be made right. And God, we pray that we as your people may never lose sight that your arms are around us, never lose sight that you are present in our lives. And God, even as we fall short of who we are supposed to be, God, we know your love is still there for us, your next chance, your second chance. And so, God, we pray that we may take that second chance and run with it, run out in the world as your hands and feet of being a joy in another's life, building your kingdom one person at a time. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Now I'd like to invite um, the, the children to come forward uh, for a message uh, prepared just for them. This is the part of the service that requires courage. Wait. Howdy, friends. It is good to see you. That was awesome. Um, okay, so I have, a, I have a real simple question for you. Um, have you ever had to practice at something to get better at it? You ever had to, what, what's something you've had to practice at to get better at? Math. Math, sure, absolutely. What's something you've got to practice at? That's important. I didn't do that, and it shows. Um, what's something you've had to practice at? Language arts. Okay, what's something else? Somebody else. What's something you've had to practice at? Math. 
Yeah, you had to practice running in place. Absolutely. You don't want to do that wrong. At school, fantastic. So, you know, when you're starting out to learn how to do something um, and it doesn't go right and you get another practice and you get another chance to do it right, well, it turns out it's not just with running and math and piano and uh, someone last service said horseback riding, right? It's also that way in life. God asks, God has rules and a way God wants us to live, but we don't get it right. We get another chance. We get a second chance to try it again. That we can go to God and say, I'm sorry. Can I try that again? And God will always say, yes. Yes, you can. So just like you get another chance to learn how to read, another chance to learn how to, I was always, I, mine was riding a bike. I was not great at riding a bike. It took a long time. Get it? You fall off the bike, you get another chance. You're far better than I was. Just like with any of those things, you also get another chance, a second chance. Do things right with God. So I want you all to pray with me. Take your hands like this. Put it in your lap. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for second chances. May we take that chance and use it for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, cool. Y'all can head on back to your seats. Cool, bud. Um, if only we all were so excited to be in the house of the Lord. Our scripture reading this morning comes um, from Nehemiah chapter 8. I would best describe this as selections from Nehemiah chapter 8. I have omitted verse 4 and 7, uh, not to hide anything from you, uh, but to just save us from lists of unpronounceable names. If you want, go in your Bible after worship and look up verses 4 and 7 of Nehemiah chapter 8, and it is, you know, blah, 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 whatever, right? Like, it's just unpronounceable. And for actually, the sake of clarity, I have omitted those names. Again, there's nothing scary hiding in verses 4 and verses 7. It is just, um, I don't know how to know those, know those, say those names. You don't know how those names need to be said, and we are just going to leave them out. Um, so now I give you uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 3, 5 through 6, and 8 through 10. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, before men and women, all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave, they gave the sense that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. 
eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for this for this day is holy to our Lord and do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength say it's God's good word for us God's beloved people thanks be to God amen so I remember being a first-year teacher and one of the things they teach you or should teach you as you're preparing to be a teacher is there are at least two times a year where you need to teach all of the students the rules of your classroom. You have to craft the rules of your classroom in very specific ways. You have to phrase them all as positive statements. They can't all be, so you can't, for instance, you cannot, and I wanted to many times, you should not write, don't hit people. You should say something like, respect people's space. Whatever, I, something about human psychology tells you that this is better and not worse. I have no idea. But these are the things they teach you. But the other thing they teach you is not only should you have your rule say, respect other people's space, you know, listen attentively, show up with your stuff, I am not in charge of your pencils. You need to teach these things twice a year. Obviously, you need to teach them on day one, right? The first, you're going to lose the first two couple first two days of the school year, largely teaching people how to be in school. But the other time you need to reiterate these rules is right after Christmas break. Because two weeks away might as well be a generations-long exile from school as far as the students were concerned. Because they have totally lost the plot. And so on day one, it is respect other people's space, um, keep all objects on desk, um, you know, do not, no, 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 you can't say do not, right? Whatever, you have to go through all the rules. And then as soon as you get back in January, you will lose another day of your life going, you know, do not uh, do this, stand in line this way, turn in your homework. Have you remembered pencils? No, of course you haven't. Merry Christmas, kids, here's some pencils. After a long absence, the students forget literally everything. And they need to be reminded. That kind of reminder sits at the heart of what is happening here in Nehemiah chapter 8. The people have been gone and away from God's law for a really long time. And here they get to stand for apparently up to six hours to meticulously hear again the words of the Lord. But to understand all that is happening here, we're going to have to dive back into some biblical history. We're going to have to do some historical heavy lifting to really understand what is happening here in Nehemiah chapter 8, or else this does look like an incomprehensible religious ceremony, and why is everyone crying and standing and eating, and eating meat and drinking sweet wine? We need to go back a couple generations to the exile. I talk about the exile a lot because... The Bible talks about the exile a lot. The Old Testament, very interested in you understanding why the exile happened and what happened after it. And why the exile happened, in large part, is because the people were not living the way they needed to. And a lot of the kings that were leading the people turned into utter garbage fire humans themselves. And the prophets would keep yelling, Stop! Stop! For the love of God, stop! 
And at one point, Ezekiel throws literal excrement at the wall to try and get the people to stop. And they don't stop. They don't start caring for the poor in their midst. They don't start putting God first in their lives. They don't start listening to the priests and following after the law of God. And so eventually the Babylonians come in and absolutely clean their clock and off to exile they go. And they're in exile for a long time. They're in exile for like more than a generation. Long enough that they lose a little bit of track of how they are supposed to be and who they are supposed to be. But eventually, by the grace of God and the grace of God alone, they are allowed to return. They are allowed to come back from exile. And, and then they get back from exile and the whole thing is broken. Because the Babylonians utterly destroyed Jerusalem. The wall, city walls aren't there. The temple isn't there. Nothing works. And this is where our friend Nehemiah enters. Nehemiah, follower of God, he has risen to high ranks in King Artaxerxes of Persia, who is the Persian king who let God's people come back. He's the cupbearer to the king. Cupbearer, by the way, great job, assuming no one tries to kill the king. Because the cupbearer bears the cup, which means the cupbearer tests the wine before giving it to the king. If you are living in a poison-free environment, it's essentially paid to drink wine all day. If someone is trying to kill the king, however, you will be the first to go. So, trade-offs. He's the cupbearer to the king, follower of God, and deeply dismayed about what is happening in Jerusalem. So, he chooses to leave his cushy corporate job um, as the, uh, the cupbearer to Artaxerxes and go to the rough-and-tumble world of a broken-down Jerusalem. He shows up there as the governor, and he starts to try and get that place in order. He works and organizes the people to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple, and you go this, and let's get the stone from here. Um, Dan was wearing a shirt the other day that said project manager because miracle worker isn't a job. Nehemiah becomes the project manager for rebuilding all of Jerusalem. And he does. And they finish the work. But you got to realize, this is about more than a construction project. This is about God's grace. They didn't have to be allowed back. They'd screwed up bad enough. If they had stayed away from Jerusalem forever, it would have been just punishment for how they were acting for generations leading up to the exile. But God gives them this Second chance, this next chance to get things right. And so part of what's happening as they lay stone down and rebuild altars and rebuild towers, because a city needs a wall, that was the nature of a city at that time, and the Jewish people need a temple, that's how the religion worked at that time. As they're doing that, this is about God's grace working in their lives. This is about them receiving and taking ownership of this second chance that they have been given. And that's what leads us to Nehemiah chapter 8, where now they are formally recommitting themselves to God's law, recommitting themselves to being God's people. 
That's what's happening in verses 2 and 3 as Nehemiah, as, as Ezra brings out the book of the law and begins what could have been a six-hour worship experience. Here again, the words of verses 2 and 3. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, all who could hear with understanding. This was the first day of the seventh month. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand and, and the ears of all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. We don't exactly know what it means when they say the book of the law, but it literally could have been, it's, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock this morning, it was 25 degrees. So imagine if worship began, um, not here comfortably in the sanctuary at 11 o'clock, imagine worship began at 7 o'clock this morning uh, when it was 25 degrees, and I went out there and I said, um, let us begin the worship, everyone rise. In the beginning, when God created in the heavens and earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the earth, while a wind from God swept over the face of the earth. Then God said, let there be light, and there was. Probably, it was not actually all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of the law. It was probably just Deuteronomy. So it was probably like a few hours, not six. What's happening in that worship service? is they're hearing the law again. Like a student just returned from Christmas break. They've been on a multi-generation long Christmas break. They're back. They have been given another chance to get this right. They hear again what it means to get this right. It's a way of committing themselves to live in that They've been given a second chance. They are grabbing hold of that second chance here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Yes, it takes the form of a slightly ludicrous religious ceremony. But at the heart of this is a remarkable encounter with God's grace. God's grace that says, I am your God. I made you. I love you. You messed up. I know that. But you can come home again to me. Here is your next chance. And they are saying, yes, I want that next chance. I want that second chance. I want this to be the time I get this right in my life. Now, as humans are, as might have happened in our lives from time to time, not everyone takes advantage of this second chance. And actually, the end of Nehemiah ends with a few images of people not living as they should be, and Nehemiah getting increasingly frustrated with them. They are not marrying as they should. They are not keeping the Sabbath as they should. They are not respecting the priests as they should. And so, as has happened before, as will happen again, not everyone takes advantage of this second chance. There's a great painting I have of that looks like Nehemiah is absolutely exhausted. Can I get that next painting? Let me see. Do we have it? That one. Yeah, let me just look. Can you, you know, this is the teacher, like, I taught you these rules. I gave you this chance. I am so, he looks so tired. But that second chance was there. And no doubt, even if some did not take advantage of it, some and that second chance is there now 
in Christ. Do we deserve this second chance? Have we earned the right for God to continue to love us? No. No, we haven't. No, we don't. The people then didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it now. We're, you know, done some stuff in our lives. All of us had done some stuff. And so that means God does not have to give us another chance. God does not have to welcome us back from exile. God does not have to extend God's arms. God could pull that arm back if God so chose and would be right in doing so because the rules were laid out. Here are the terms of the deal. Here is the covenant. God certainly kept God's end. We didn't keep ours. But here's the good news, friends. Doesn't matter if we deserve it or not. That second chance is there for all of us. All of us. Always. God loves us. God loves us so much that God gives us these second chances, these next chances. And we can all receive them. It's only, this is a three-step process. It's all it takes to receive the second chance. One, you need to be a child of God. Here's the good news. That's literally everybody. Everybody is a beloved child of God. So you do need to be a child of God. Uh, but congratulations, if you are human um, or human enough, um, you are, in fact, a beloved child of God. You need to recognize your need for a second chance, and you need to ask God for that second chance. That's it. That's the whole process. Be human. Check. Big check. Know you need a second chance. And ask for it. That's it. By the grace of God, the love of God, the love of God that never gave up on us, the love of God that brought them home from exile, the love of God that came as Christ into the world and died on a cross as an exclamation point of how much God loves us and how much God wants us to have a second chance. There it is. Doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter uh, by human means how big the thing you've done is or how small the thing you've done is. None of that disqualifies you. It doesn't matter what you look like. You could be wearing a polo shirt. You could be heavily tattooed. You could be heavily tattooed in a polo shirt. You could be wearing socks with sandals. It really doesn't matter. The love of God is there for you. So socks with sandals is a sin. And yet God loves you anyways. It doesn't matter what you look like, how old you are, what you've done, where you're from, where you're not from, who your parents are, who your parents aren't, where you were born, where you weren't, but it doesn't matter any of that. You just need to be a child of God, created in the image of God. The breath of God blown into your lungs at creation. And that is all of us. So the question isn't, do you deserve it? No, I don't, you don't, none of us do. And the question isn't, is it there for me? Yes, God's second chance is very much there for you as it's there for me. I admit I'm on more than my second chance. I'm willing to bet some of y'all are on more than your second chance, but we have not run out of chances and praise God for that. 
The question is merely, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with this second chance, this next chance that we've been given? Is this going to be the time where we grab hold and don't let go? That we grab on to God's spirit and let it transform us into the people God wants and needs us and called us to be. Because that's always there. That was there here in Nehemiah chapter 8. They have this chance to grab hold, to recommit themselves and be the people of God that maybe they weren't before, but they can be now because God's grace gives them this second chance. And maybe earlier in our lives, maybe five minutes ago, maybe right now, we are not the people that God needs us to be. And yet all of us have that second chance, that next chance to grab on, to let God transform us if we will go along with the program, to seize the opportunity. Second chance is always there. As long as there's breath in your lungs, that second chance is there. What? are we going to do with it? Let us pray. Gracious living God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that that second chance, that next chance love is right here, right here for us. We give you thanks that no matter what we've done, no matter what our background is, no matter what our past is, there is always a future in you. Loving God, may we accept that grace for ourselves. May we let that grace in. May we let that grace transform our lives. May this next chance that we grab on be the last chance that we need, that we may take full advantage of the fact that you love us, the fact that you don't give up on us, and the fact that you are right there for us. May we be transformed by this chance that you have given us. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you. Form one united body in Christ for the power of God's spirit. That is what we are. And go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God's second chance love is right there calling for you. May we welcome that grace into our lives and be transformed by it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus.